I've said over and over again how much I love when our listeners send us questions. So when Josh started messaging and sending in some incredible, thoughtful questions, I was like, we have to have you on the podcast. Will you please come on and let's have this discussion live? So today we are going to have community member Josh House on the podcast, and we're going to talk about can we actually shift our emotions? Can we change what is firing in our bodies? And how do we even begin to do that? Welcome to the Connection Codes podcast. This is the podcast where we break open our emotions that take us from being disconnected to connected in our relationships and in ourselves. I'm your host, Tara Wages, and joining me is marriage and family therapist, clinical sexologist, Dr. Glenn Hill, and his incredible wife, Phyllis. Together, they have founded The Connection Codes, which is the guide to human connection. And we're so glad you're here. Hello, world. Hi, friends. We are so excited to mm-hmm. have to be having a conversation with Josh today. Tira, tell us about just how this whole thing came about and how we're going to proceed today with questions. Yeah, I love that. So, Josh, thank you so much for being here. I was nervous to ask you to actually come on the podcast. As many listeners know, we're always like, if you have questions, email us. And so Josh would like send us an email. And the first email was like, ooh, this is a great question. And then he emailed us again. I was like, ooh, this is another great question. (laughs) And so he and I have just had these like conversations with his wife as well through email. And finally, I was like, okay, Josh, will you please come on? The rest of the world also should hear what these questions are. And I think coming from you, it would be more impactful. So will you do a quick introduction of who you are, maybe where you're based, your family, just more about you? Yeah. My name is Josh Haas. I'm an associate pastor in the Dayton, Ohio area. And so I do um, a lot of the marriage and family. And so somebody in our church had mentioned connection codes and I've been checking it out. I've listened to, I went back and listened to all the podcasts, read mm. the book and my wife and I just got her convinced to start going through the, the introduction course, the foundations course. And so we're just a couple classes into the course, right. which we're, I'm very joyful about that. So my wife and I have been married for 25 years and we are just Entering the end of the empty nest phase, we have one launched, one in, as a freshman, our, our daughter's a freshman in college, and then our youngest is a sophomore in high school. So we've got one still in the house now. Yeah. That's so exciting to me when I talk to parents who are at that stage of life. I'm very much enjoying the stage that I'm in, but also, wow, like y'all get to go on a date right now whenever you want to. And that just feels like an actual miracle to me. So (laughs) congratulations on making it that far with Mm. your kids. And I also love that you just said that you've gotten your wife convinced to do the masterclass with you. And I also get so many emails. They're like, how do I get my partner to join in? They are hesitant. There's something blocking Mm. them from wanting to join in. And so I just, I want people to hear you're not alone if if there's one of you that's ready to dive in and the other one needs a little bit more time. And so just continue sharing like what joy you would have to, to have them join you on this journey. And if they're not ready, like Josh, you said you'd already read the book, like you beginning the work on your own, they will join in because they'll see the change that it's made in you. So Josh, share with me so far, like what 
why Connection Codes for you? What's felt different about it compared to other things you've done where you've wanted your wife to join in the journey with you? I think the biggest thing is it's simple. Mm-hmm. And I am very, like, I, I can really relate to Dr. Glenn and Phyllis about he's the emotional one, which the way the engine shows emotions, she just doesn't like to, to talk about them a lot yeah. and process them because for me, it could be hours and we're just, and I'm getting joy out of that. And yeah. she is feeling pain and drained mm-hmm. from spending so much time sharing. And so just recognizing that this is just, if you do it right and you just keep up on it, it's just a few minutes to do that. The other thing that I like about it is there's no, no pressure to fix anything. It's just, let's process through this. Let's talk about where you are. I'll be here with you to connect on this. Wow. But it was probably a relief to me to know that she didn't have, not, that I could just by processing, I could be okay. I could be okay by letting her know, this is pain for me. Do you need anything? No, I just needed you to know that it was pain. Wow. Oh, Okay. And that's been really helpful too. So mm. it, it's, it's been a fun journey so far and definitely more to go. I've never really thought of it this way, but the way you just described that, I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to know this is pain for me. What that triggered in my mind is it helps it become less painful because now you don't have the lonely aspect yep. of it. Yep. Where we talk about what loneliness can do to your body, it's the equivalent mm. of smoking a pack of cigarettes every day, living in intense ongoing loneliness and so just to have someone else know what's happening for you you've now alleviated a level of loneliness so it lightens the pain load and that just hit me of why does it hurt less just to tell them and and it's because you're not living in the loneliness aspect anymore as we had mentioned too tiara in the emails i'm an enneagram nine which this is not an enneagram podcast but (laughs) basically what that means about me is I have a high value on peace. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I will often do is I don't want to share what's going on, even though it's building up, because I don't want to break the peace. And just knowing that I can bring it up and and there's no pressure on you, that I can just share what's going on inside of me, that relieves a lot off of me because I don't have to manage peace anymore. It can stay peaceful, even though I'm bringing this up. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you brought the Enneagram up because we have a lot of listeners that talk about the Enneagram as well. And and I am a huge Enneagram advocate. I love it. I could just eat it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I'm really, it brings me a lot of joy learning about it. And I love Wes a lot more now knowing his personality and Enneagram type. But what we miss on is how we still show up and how we communicate. And so the connection codes is that missing link of, you're the Enneagram nine, you're a, you want, you're a peacemaker at your core, and now we can give you the language to communicate in a safe and peaceful way. And that's true for any personality type. The Connection Codes really is that bridge that can bridge people together no matter what their personality is. So I love that. So Josh, one of the first questions that you had asked me about was in relations to a roller coaster experience and feeling fear. So can you share that example and that question with us? Yes. Here's my question. And I can hear Dr. Glenn saying over and over again, you're not trying to feel that way. You just feel that way. Yeah. You're not, it's, you're not making effort to feel fear. Fear just comes over you. And I love the examples that both of you give 
Dr. Glenn talks about cracks in the sidewalk. I'm not trying to feel pain. I just mm. do when that happens. And Phyllis will talk about mice. Yeah. And I'm not trying to feel fear. That's just what happens, which makes sense to me. That definitely lifts a burden off of my shoulders. But I was wondering, is there ever a time that you would put effort into changing that emotion? And here's my example. When I was a kid, I was afraid of roller coasters until I went and got on one and overcame that fear. And it turned into a joy experience for me. And so I didn't know if you could explain that. And are there times that I should put effort into actually seeing if that emotion can be adjusted in, in, in a certain situation? Yeah. And I would suggest that we just process through the emotion. The emotion does not dictate what we're going to do. The emotion mm -hmm. is simply a consultant counseling us. For example, you can jump out of a perfectly good airplane. Who would do that? That's stupid. Jump out of a working plane. It's called skydiving. And fear tells you to be prepared, to pay attention. And it also asks you, is it worth it? And the risk to reward. So here you're going to do this thing called skydiving, jumping out of a perfectly good plane. You're certainly allowed to do that. That does not mean you're not going to feel fear when you do it. Uh, and I've done it and I felt <laughs> a lot of fear. Um, but I had a parachute that was strapped to my body that I knew how to work. And it was a functioning uh, parachute. Good. I'm glad I felt fear because otherwise I just, just jump out of the plane. So it doesn't mean that we don't do the thing that fear is cautioning us about. We do, but you just have to process through it. Is it worth it? Is it a good idea? Is it risk to reward? Uh, the same with uh, any, uh, you know, with guilt. Uh, I may feel guilt about something. If I see a commercial, the starving children in India, I feel guilt about that. Guilt's just asking me, are you a giving person? Are you helping other human beings? Yes, I'm not helping that particular child. And, and quite literally, some of those children on those commercials are literally going to die sometime soon from starvation. I don't have enough money to feed every child on the planet. I would love to. I just don't. So it's asking me, are you a giving person? Are you uh, contributing to the, the benefit of others? What I think about is that like with fear, roller coasters, mice, cracks, we're not to be paralyzed by it. Mm -hmm. And, and I think there are times when I've had a fear about something and I'm thinking of I'm somebody who may have a fear in learning a new game or learning a new device. And yet I don't want to be stopped by that. I don't want to be paralyzed. And so then I go ahead and engage in the experience. And, and that leads me often to joy. Like mm -hmm. I get really good in that. And so then I'm like, oh, my word, Mahjong is a complicated game, in my opinion. But my mother-in-law was playing it, and I'm like, I really want to learn this game. And now that I know it, I actually love it. So I went from the fear of having to learn something new to now it's a joy experience. So I think if that helps any, I don't think we are meant to be stuck or paralyzed by an emotion. It may not. For me, mice, I don't really have any motivation to become someone who enjoys mice. I'm not really looking to engage with mice, but I would say I'm not paralyzed by mice, but I'm not really looking to turn that into a joy experience either. Something that I think about is not even necessarily fear, which I love the roller coaster example. I think that is such a great 
example of that. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping I have four kids and I had four. So we would all have a buddy on a roller coaster. And then somehow none of mine (laughs) want to ride the roller coasters with me. So I'm hoping that will turn for my family. But I even think about shame because shame is something that I deal with so deeply. And can I change my thoughts around what that shame is firing? And so when I feel shame, honestly, I was trying to think of a different example, but the one that feels the strongest to me is sex because we just got off with a sex therapist talking to him. People feel so much shame around sex. Those thoughts are also adding to that shame. And so once I change my thoughts around sex, then my shame becomes less. And so doing the late night course was my first moment of where that shame switched from feeling like shame to feeling like joy because it taught me to get outside of the box and to find freedom. And so I think it is so important that we get to the core of what that emotion Mm -hmm. is. So another thought is Mm -hmm. I've learned that anger, it comes out of me often when I'm actually feeling fear, knowing that anger is secondary. When I'm in deep fear, I can look like a very angry person. If I'm trying to change the emotion of anger, I'm actually not going to do anything for myself. I need to get to the core of the fear that I'm experiencing and ask, what is that fear trying to tell me? And is that fear something that I, is it a thought that I'm having that I can rewire in my brain? Is it it's something mm-hmm. that I can yeah. reverse in my brain? Maybe a story from my childhood that I can find healing or process out and process out until it's done. So now I'm no longer feeling fear around it. So when we can identify what that main emotion is, ask what thought is attached to that emotion. And is that a thought that is bringing me, is it guiding me to something or is it something that I can rework in my brain? Yeah. And I've been amazed. Most people know the popcorn story. We didn't write it on a calendar. I wish we had, but it's been at least two years now, maybe two and a half or more where I processed through the joy of eating seven buckets of popcorn. And I have literally not eaten any movie popcorn since then. And I stopped because I'm biting down on a stick and just mm-hmm. gritting, white knuckling it through it. We were at the movies a few weeks ago and I don't remember what I got. I think some chicken tenders or something. But anyway, the, the checkout person said, oh, you have, we get rewards and stuff. And you have a free bucket of popcorn. Do you want to do that now? And it was so weird. Just, I didn't convey all this to her, but, but I was just like, why would I want to do that? That's no, that I didn't say any of that, but I'm like, eh, no, I'll just, I'll save it for later and give it to somebody that would enjoy it. But it was so odd to me, even the experience of it, when she said that there wasn't like, oh my gosh, at last movie popcorn, there was just zero interest at all. And I don't claim to even understand all this, but it's been bizarre to me. Because I had been eating unhealthy levels of movie popcorn for 40 years. <laughs> That's a lot of disgustingness. <laughs> and I haven't had any sense. And it just blows my mind. Just processing through the emotion all the way till the end. And it's it has released me. And I know that's not a huge life event, but although movie popcorn is damaging enough. I, I find that fun. interesting. I, I, and I wonder, so is it no longer a joy experience? I haven't had it since. Even the, again, a free bucket of it, a free, free, yeah, it just had no interest to me at all. Because I just wonder, there are sometimes I react in ways I don't want to. Mm. 
I have the emotions come up. Of course, I'm not trying to have the emotion. And obviously I've listened enough of what you've taught to know that the, the point is to process through that, let the emotion come, go with the energy. But is there ever a time that that emotion just disappears? Because it sounds like that's, that's what happened with the popcorn. And it feels to me that's what happened yeah. with the roller coaster. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would think so. Do you remember how old you were? With the roller coaster? Oh, gosh, I was probably seven, maybe. Okay. Because you're probably young enough that it was still your coding, your inborn coding was still pretty active. And mm. so somehow the fear was able to process enough to, and sometimes it's even just lowering it some that the fear experience. If you're at 43 feet of fear, you ain't getting on a roller coaster and you're fighting tooth and nail, scratching, clawing to not get on that roller coaster. So processing it, we bring it down, these are all made up numbers, to 15 feet of fear where it's manageable. People that are at right. 35, 40, 43 feet of an emotion, forget it. You, you can't even <laughs> have a conversation with them. Whereas if we can lessen it some, then you, your cognition will engage enough that you go, okay, uh, I, I think I could probably, and I don't know what your experience was, I think I could mm -hmm. probably do this. Obviously, I'm watching people get on it and then they get off and they're not dead. So yes. <laughs> apparently, and they're not bleeding. So apparently this is manageable. And so once the fear gets diminished to a lower level, you're able to go, okay, I'm going to try this once. And then that's it. I'm never riding a roller coaster <laughs> again the rest of my life. And then you try it and you're like, whoa. I, and I actually had a very similar experience. We were there when Carowinds, I don't know if anybody, I don't even know if it still exists, but it's on the state line of North and South Carolina. And we were there the day Carowinds opened. And that was very much my experience. That's I'm not doing a roller coaster. And then my brother talked me into it and I did it. And certainly hundreds, perhaps thousands of times, but we rode roller coasters together. Yeah. It's <laughs> good. Josh, I'm curious. And I'm going to ask this and I hope it's okay. Is there something mm -hmm. today that is what's charging oh. you to ask this question that you're like, here's my struggle. And this is what I'm trying to process through oh, or okay. overcome. Sure. In this. Yeah. I think to go with my personality and that, that desire for peace, I will often carry a lot of guilt or shame over things that are out of proportion. And if, if my kids are living their lives the way I'd like them to live, I feel like oh, I must be a bad father. Yeah. And if I'm working with somebody else on that, it, it's so clear and so obvious that's not right. the truth. Yeah. Mm. But that's really just how I feel. Yeah. And I'm tired of feeling that. And even processing it, I know it's, it's good. It helps to process it. I would just, it would be, it feels to me like it'd be to my advantage if I, it just didn't come up. I don't, mm. I want to feel guilt and shame when I actually did something wrong. Mm. Not when I just living normal life. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder too, and of course I just mentioned Josh, so I don't know, but I wonder too, if you followed that energy till the end and, and by doing that, we're not talking about 30 minutes, literally we're talking about 20 seconds. And then to ask yourself the fourth phrase, it goes, what do I need? What do I need? What do I need? I need my children to be perfect. I need my mm -hmm. children to never miss on anything the rest of their mm -hmm. lives. And then you go, huh, how can I help with that? How can I make that happen? I probably can't. I want to be there for my kids, but all four of my kids who are amazing human beings, but all of them miss on stuff. Every human does. So there's nothing I can do about that. And exactly what you're talking about. I've processed through that. I have no idea in the last 15 years, hundreds and hundreds, again, perhaps thousands of times. 
but I'm just getting to the end of the emotion and then the fourth phrase is, so what do I need? And that's where, just like with the TV commercial, the starving children in India, what do I need? I need to feed every child on the planet. I can't do that. I simply don't have enough resources to do that. That does not mean that the next time I see that commercial, I'm not going to get hit with guilt again. I will, and I'll process it through. And that's part, and I love what you said, Josh, at the beginning, just that the connection codes are so simple, they're so implementable, they're so direct, and they become so fast initially. Uh, for a lot of people, they're not. They're very thick and sticky and, and difficult. But for us now, we do it so eff effectively, so efficiently, so literally those are 10, 12, 15-second <laughs> experiences so that it's not an hour and a half, because I used to live in depression all the time. That was my home base, mm -hmm. my go-to. I was always overwhelmed every day, every minute of every day I could barely breathe. And now I just process through it literally in 10 seconds. And then there's freedom in that. Again, that doesn't mean it's not going to happen again in 10 minutes or 20 minutes or an hour this afternoon. And we'll just do it again then as well, which is the human condition. That's mm -hmm. what we're designed to do. And Josh, I love that you also said that, man, it would just be so much better if I didn't have to feel it <laughs> because you're saying what so many people are thinking. Mm -hmm. I, Absolutely. Also, I get email after email mm -hmm. of people saying, my partner doesn't want to do it because they don't want to dig up the emotion. Mm -hmm. And the truth is whether you're going to acknowledge you're feeling the guilt over your kids or not, your body is feeling whatever is firing there. And so... For me, I think, wow, if you weren't processing that, if you if your body was experiencing the pain, because I do this as a parent, when my kids are not acting behavior-wise the way that I have taught them to act, and I'm hit with shame or guilt about that, my reaction when I don't process that shame or guilt that I feel, I am reacting to my child now in a way that is unwarranted. I am now using that guilt and shame as a, honestly, it's a weapon against them in that moment. That's how it comes across to them. I am, my anger now surfaces and I am frustrated with them and, and they're going to hear about it because I didn't process the guilt or the shame oh. that I am experiencing. Mm. And so by continuing to process that part of it out, it actually keeps you in a really healthy space with your kids. Because it shares, this is their experience, and I'm having my own experience, and my own experience does not have to impede on theirs. Well, I and like what you just said on about that too, Tara. That's helpful for me because that allows me to own what I can own myself and not yeah. have to control other people, which I can't. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Even my kids. Yeah. On a good day, I control me. And then I can put the expectations and give the resources so that they can process and manage what they're going through. And if they don't or, or don't want to, that's well, sad for me. I get that. But I, I, you can't force somebody to, to do something that they don't want to do. And so you just, you show health as best as you can and stay patient and keep processing your own emotions. I like it. A hundred percent. And there's a meme that came out in recent years. It's like the best parents are the ones that don't have kids. 
But it's so easy to think that, oh, no, you can't control your kid until you have kids and you realize how little you actually can tell them to actually do the thing that they're supposed to do. Because I've heard my kids say things out in public. I'm like, whoa, they did not hear that at home. That that is not how I have raised them to be. (laughs) And that's such a shame and guilt experience as Mm. a parent. But we do. We just have to process that guilt and shame within ourselves. And recognize that exactly what you just said, mirroring to them what our response should be. If I'm lashing out at my kids in those moments, I am mirroring to them that when you're feeling guilt and shame, you should be lashing out. And so if I can just continue, and it's hard to process my guilt or shame with them in a way that's, I do, I tell them all the time, oh, I'm feeling really sad that you didn't do your chores today and you were supposed to do them. My kids are still young. It's now my sadness is my own sadness that you do not have to carry my sadness with you. But I just I want you to know that I am feeling that. And so they can see that this is how I process. So then hopefully it will teach them over time to also process that. Yeah. And we always say that we're very part time parents because we're grandparents. So I'm not trying to make an an equal comparison there. But one of the things that we do with our grandkids is just convey to them the fear. So if we see one of them being mean to another one, I just tell them that, well, I feel so much fear because if you're, if you continue to be unkind to this cousin, you're just not going to connect with them. And I'm not mad at you, but that's just the reality. She's not going to want to hang out with you if you're unkind to her. And also feel fear that if that becomes your pattern, you're going to end up with no friends because people mm. are not going to want to be around you. And I adore you and I know how wonderful you are to be around. But if you're unkind to people, they're not going to get to experience that. And I'm just always amazed at, with our grandkids, their eyes get big because they hadn't thought about that. They're just mm-hmm. reacting in the moment, in that second. Then they react, probably secondary anger, and then they're unkind and they don't factor in that, oh, this is actually having an effect uh, on my relationship. And this means that an hour from now, whenever I say, hey, you want to go play this game? That cousin is going to go, nope, I don't want to uh, to be around you. And they, I think they get that. I'm always amazed at how quickly they get that. And we, I don't like to say numbers, but we rarely ever spend more than uh, two or three minutes processing through anything uh, with, with the grandkids because they get the core, that we mm-hmm. get to the core emotions so quickly. <laughs> I, I want to add just one caveat right there for parents. It does take me longer than two or three minutes. So if you're at your okay, house. We're, we're very part-time. Yeah, I just, I want to clarify for other people because I don't want you to think it's not working in your house right. if it's taking more than two to three minutes because okay. it is still a process. Again, our kids are young, um, but it, it can be a process. So Josh, yeah, also, I, I just want to emphasize too that we do this so part-time that we have the energy for it. When mm-hmm. you're with these little munchkins 24-7, Oh my gosh, all we're asking for, Tier, is perfection. Okay. Just be perfect and you'll be fine. You're a real human too. Yeah. And they're adorable, but kids are, can be exhausting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you just get worn down. And so you did it well. Pick a number the first 11 times that day. Sorry, you have to do it 58 times. After the 11th time, you began to get exhausted. And then, yeah. Can I circle back around to just what Josh said as far as, because you, Tira, asked of a an emotion that is more current that you would like to see growth in or change in, and you mentioned shame. 
And I think that to me, the beauty of the journey that we're on with the connection codes is actually figuring out, so what happens for me in shame? And and sometimes when you, I know for me, because I've been thinking about this for the last few minutes, as y'all been talking more parenting stuff, is I've been thinking when I get hit with shame, it surprises you a lot. When mm. I've mentioned lately, oh, I feel shame about that. Mm. It surprises Glenn. And he's known me 45 years. So mm. it's like he's seeing in a different side of me or a different, and I'm seeing a different part of it. And I think it's been there all along. I just didn't know it. And so for me, at times, the shame is like fear of judgment by other people, fear of uh, rejection by other people. And I think about that with sometimes you mentioning like you're, you can talk to other people like in your ministry about how to react to each other or how to think about things with their children. But then you yourself are like stuck in it. And it may be that in time you'll be able to break down well, what really does happen with mm-hmm. me. And it actually may lead you to a different em- emotion altogether. You may be experiencing fear of judgment. Mm-hmm. And yet shame is the first thing that comes up for you. And so you're putting that label on it. You're saying, mm-hmm. oh, it's shame. I'm feeling shame about how whatever your children's choices. And yet really it's, deeper than that. It's so for you to get really curious mm-hmm. about the shame, curious as in, is that really all or is there mm-hmm. more to it? And it may add you, it may lead you to something else. And I just know for me, it's mm. been quite the quite the discovery lately right. yeah. of, yeah. oh, wow, for me, shame actually leads me to something else. Mm. So that's really yeah. helpful because I'm, I know you, you've, probably talked about it before, but most of the time I think of secondary anger, but I don't think about secondary shame or secondary, any of the other emotions that they may often be covering up emotion that's underneath it or paired with it. And I I do think there's probably something more to it than just, it's probably more than just shame, but that's what I feel or what I see in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the ways we find that sitting in sessions so much of people, and then we use the phrase, follow the energy till the end. The best way I know to do that is you just keep going, oh, so what else happens mm. for me there? What else happens? What else am I missing? What am I missing? What? Oh, there's fear of judgment. There's fear of more shame. There's mm. fear of being labeled a, a bad parent or a, a stupid person or whatever it is. And then you discover yourself. And that's what's been so amazing for both of us. But for me, learning Phyllis, because she's learning herself of these last few years and she's fascinating and entertaining and intriguing. And for so many years, I lived with a phenomenal cyborg and she was just got everything done and she didn't even exist as a human uh, for many reasons. Part of which is because she lived with somebody that was too, I took up all the oxygen in the room. So she just was a machine because she didn't even exist because there was, there wasn't space in the room. And, and not because I was healthy, because I had no idea how to actually convey uh, authentically myself. So we're just on this continual journey. We always say we're pilgrims uh, on that journey and we're just learning stuff uh, as we go as well. And we're discovering that also oh, that's what happens for me there. I'll be darned. I completely missed that and mm. had, had no idea that was what was happening for me. Yeah. Something that I would recommend in what you're saying, when you're finding yourself blocked in those moments of, okay, I, I can feel the shame feels obvious about this specific 
situation with my child or a church member or someone else. Um, But maybe there's something more because when I'm processing the shame, it doesn't feel like enough. It still feels heavy in me. Do an issue-specific will with yourself. Wow. Just get it out and maybe go through each of them. Be like, okay, there's not any hurt in that situation. There's not any loneliness Mm. in that situation. Oh, but seeing this fear, that's sparking something in me. You're seeing the Mm. sadness, that's sparking something in me. So it may be that you do have multiple emotions around that specific situation that's happening Mm -hmm. that you can find what else is underneath because we do often have like our main emotion that I think people feel I think for some personality types like they feel the eight very or the I said eight they feel anger very quickly because I think the eights tend to feel the anger and or they may find the joy before they feel the other things depending on their personality type and so it hides the other ones underneath there because they feel one so strongly but when we can break that down and find the other ones, we may see something else is at our core. So can I ask when, especially when you're helping people, what's the indicator to you that you've hit the bottom core emotion? How do you know you've hit it? Great question. Part of the problem is there's 8 billion people on the planet. <laughs> and yeah, we've hadn't sat with all of them yet. Every human is unique, as we always say, but for me, typically a big indicator is tears or, or at least pushing towards tears. Some people just are unable to cry because they haven't done it so long, but because there is no great scientific answer that I know of, but Phyllis and I both see that where we're like, oh, okay. And we try not to make a big deal of it in session because then the person feels paranoid on spot, um, analyzed. But you can just see it that, oh, okay, we finally, and you, that's the problem is you don't even know what it is. You don't know where it's going to be. So you're, again, that's the reason that I just go, oh, okay. So what else happens for you there? I feel, I feel like I might be missing something else there. Could you help me get that? And you just watch people dissolve into themselves. Uh, and again, every human's unique. So there's no perfect uh, answer there. There's no equation. But you can just sense it that, mm-hmm. and you don't always get there. Grace, a lot we sit with people all the time. Sure. Where at the end of the after the session, we're like, we we just it didn't feel like we ever got there, whatever the heck there is. You know, it didn't feel like we ever got down to the bottom of it. So that's a great question, and there is no great answer, uh, but you can just sense it at times, and it's amazing when you see it. People just. Mm-hmm melt it is oh it just it's it's inspirational to me every time it happens i i think for us what one of the things we've learned is the more we use the wheel Mm. the more chance we have of actually getting to what's happening with people and we do it in groups we do it with Mm. first time with not just in our therapy office but just being out and it's Mm. just incredible how you actually, people melt into it. It really does connect people to themselves and you will see what's happening with people in a very different light. Yeah, it's so amazing to me to watch, because again, we do the wheel everywhere all the time with anybody, any setting, we don't care. And it's been wild watching people when we say, because we always do the wheel first. And I think that's very important. We do the wheel and then we'll say, hey, could you do this? And they will push the wheel away. (laughs) And they're like, Absolutely not. And then sometimes you sit with people, they'll start the wheel, they'll do one emotion, two emotions, three emotions, and then they just stop. They're like, oh, I'm not doing that anymore. And you can tell this just pulled their essence out. 
And there's no, and they may not feel safe with us. We just met whatever, an hour ago, but there's stuff happening for them where they're like, nope, you just got to my core. And I don't think so. I'm not revealing myself uh, to you or maybe to anybody. Uh, and of course, we experience that with uh, couples or you know, partner pairs or even parent-child, different relationships. And you can see it. You're finding their core and they are not going to do it. Absolutely not. And of course, we never insist that they do. For, for us, we're just always, oh, so what happens for you around that idea of not doing the wheel? And you're following their energy even. And we're amazed how many times people do the wheel in the process of not doing the wheel. Uh, which is just <laughs> thrilling to, to get to see that, but it's so gentle. And that's part of what I love about the connection because very gentle, just nudging, just helping them find themselves. Yeah. I think that I love that answer that when you see it. And mm-hmm. so just to give another perspective of what it can feel like whenever you reach the bottom, for me, it does feel like a weight. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily cr- always cry or shed tears. But I can feel this like mm-hmm. shift within my body mm-hmm. and I am an Enneagram three. And so I'm an achiever and I want to achieve the thing. And so if I'm doing the core motion, I want to achieve it and get to that core thing. So for me, when I do it, it's almost like a light bulb moment. It's I did it. I found it. It's here. I know. And mm-hmm. it, it feels like a even if it's a shame or a pain or a fear experience, once I realize like, oh my gosh, this makes so much more Mm. sense to me now. Mm. It does, it shifts me into joy pretty quickly because now I feel like I've put that puzzle piece together of what I was missing. And so Mm. like for my example, for a long time, I just thought I was really angry when I realized, oh, it was actually shame Mm. or fear that was leading to the anger. I was like, huh, this is what I've been looking for. This (laughs) is such a, like my whole life can change now. Because now I know what fear feels like, and I can mm. process that out first oh, and yeah. before I hit that anger. Josh, I just want to make sure that is, are there any other questions before we go into the wheel with you that you want to dive time, into? I have one more. Oh, bring it. Okay. So I love what you've talked about the purpose of the different emotions, especially talking about anger being used to motivate, to drive you to do mm-hmm. something. And part of my personality, craving peace, I'm not, I've not always been really in touch with my anger because that would break the peace. If the anger comes up, there's no peace. And so what I find is I'm really good at working to help other people get what they want because that brings peace, but I'm not always in touch as much with what I want, or I will throw away those things. How can I get in touch with that anger? Because I don't, I can't, it's almost a foreign concept to think that anger would motivate me. And how can I get in touch with that and really use anger in a, an appropriate way and, you know, actually move towards some of the things that I find out who I am and what I'm wanting? Wow. Yeah, and I feel I like gonna... I need to answer that one. <laughs> Phyllis can write a book on yes, that. Yes, I, I, mean, I think I should write a book on that. Mm. So I've probably at the beginning of this year really realized that I'm allergic to anger. Very similar. It's interesting that you're saying what you're saying, because even among my family of origin, I'm the youngest of eight. And uh, I've heard my siblings say, oh, Phyllis is the peacemaker. And I realized that that was a positive to me. And yet I learned at some point in my life that I was just trying to keep the peace. I wasn't trying to make it. Mm. So that means I wasn't dealing with any 
real issues. I was simply trying to herd the cats to keep them all nice. And so it was a keeping. I was just trying to keep everyone from yelling at each other. And I think that's what I was considered good at. But yet a lot of it that has come out this year is realizing that I've been allergic to anger because I had a lot of fear around anger from my childhood. And it was a discovering of myself. What happened in my childhood that anger was wrong? It was um, scary. It was violent. It was loud. And so in my early years, I really learned it's just bad. Anger is bad. And matter of fact, even as an adult, when Jesus went in and overturned the tables, in my mind, that's always been one of those where we blew it there because we, we are never supposed to do that. Like, that is not okay. And that does not keep peace. That causes chaos. And so it's been quite the journey for me to discover, and it's still not easy. I've had one pretty big one this month where I've been able to really feel just that core level anger in a situation. And it's repeated itself multiple times. So it's, oh, that's been my my one this month. Mm. Earlier in the year, as I was discovering all this and really challenging this part of myself, it took me back to anger towards my mom that mm. she had no voice. And she's been dead nine years. So I'm dealing with kind of going back and pulling out per, that core level anger <laughs> towards things that, and I adored my mom and we were very close, but the anger that I've experienced is just, mom, you didn't have a voice. You didn't protect me. You just were silent. Dad was the rule maker, the decision maker, the everything. And you never had a voice, which also meant I never had a voice. And uh, we moved all the time in my life and it was very painful, but I never had a voice to say that. So I'm learning now at 60 to connect to that anger and to process that anger and to find it. Because when I talk about anger, like when I do the wheel, it's often anger towards bigger topics. It's not a, it's not at the really personal. And it's interesting because I was a, a half marathon runner. I never got a runner's high. And I think it's because I never tapped into anger. Mm. My body just, my running was, <laughs> was more of a sad, like my body was hurting. Wait, can I pause you on that? <laughs> yeah. Because I have the exact same experience. I run four or five, maybe six days a week. Wow. And I thought this runner's high is a myth. Mm. I never felt a runner's high. I just feel glad that I finished, that I'm done. Yeah. I, I, I like the yeah. results. Right. But I have no idea what people are talking about with this runner's high thing. Yeah. Wow. yeah it's because it's I would say you're not tapping into that core level anger. Mm. So it's not a driver for you. Um, so does that for you, Phyllis... As you've started to process through that, do you feel, does it help you drive now? Do you, does anger help you drive toward things now? I, I feel like I'm like in kindergarten, preschool. I'm in preschool. So I'm just on this journey trying to figure out this anger mm. thing. And I think I'm not, I would say, I don't know that it's a driver yet. I'm, I store a lot of it in my body. Mm. I'm trying to learn to get to that place where I can process it. One night I stayed up all night 
processing anger about a situation that I've been in. And it, it was actually not a bad night. I actually feel a lot of joy that I was able to mm. do that, that it led me to, and I was by myself. It was the middle of the night. I didn't wake anybody up. And I'm like, I need more of those. And I, I've actually had a therapist tell me that she thinks I need to go into our woods. We have a lot of property and just experience it through my body and cut down a tree, chop up a tree, just hit a tree, I guess is her point. And I haven't taken the time to do that. And I think that I don't have the, I don't think I have the driver yet in it. I find so. that amazing knowing that you ran your own business. Something drove you. Yeah. It's interesting because fear was a lot of my driver. I made a commitment to Glenn. I would support us. He went back to school. So there was definitely a fear of, I can't fail at this. Mm. I've said I'm going to do it. And I think it grew well. I had a very successful yeah. company that I was able to sell in 2020. But I think fear was my driver, not anger. Hmm. Yeah, and I would also suggest it's not necessarily that the anger wasn't there. Phyllis has just not been in tune with right. it. And I would suggest the vast majority of her life because anger is bad. Anger mm -hmm. is evil. Anger is violence. Anger is dark and yeah. harmful. And it's literally just the last year or two or three that she's begun realizing that, oh, wait, anger is just human. That's part right. of right. anger. I feel compelled to mention just because you referenced that. What's fascinating in the scripture narrative, it says that Jesus went into the temple on a Friday and he saw, he says, the scripture says he looked around and this is slightly a connection codes interpretation. I don't know if you had the more emotion wheel there with him in Aramaic, but scripture says he looked around. I'm not sure, but the G I do believe that Jesus was aware that this pisses me off, but I don't know if I can do this well, if I can do this correctly, do it rightly. And the scripture says he left and he went and prayed. He came back on the next day, which was a Sabbath, which is all the better because there's more people there. And then he did all that he did. So I'm not sure about that. Jesus was wanting to double check that this is righteous indignation. This is core mm -hmm. level anger. This is not just my reaction because I didn't like what somebody was doing. Mm -hmm. No, this is the driver that says, okay, we're going to get something done here. Power up. It's time to make a statement, a bold uh, statement. And then that's uh, the way it played out. So for us to be able to, and again, it's the three phrases to go, oh, what's happening to me? What am I missing? Okay. I feel anger, primary, secondary. Uh, yeah, it's primary. It is core level anger. And we're going to make this thing happen here. And again, and you I, do that in six seconds, which is amazing. I will link it in the show notes, that episode where Phyllis starts diving in about anger mm -hmm. that Josh, I know that you've listened to, because I want to remind people, Glenn was speaking from what we view anger to be, that anger is bad, it's dark, it's all these things. That's what the world views anger as, because that's what we see anger as. Yeah. But when we get to the core of what anger is, when you're able to process it before it becomes this like vicious thing, it is, it's just the driver. And I, I never realized how in touch with anger that I am. And I used to use it, and I still sometimes do with in certain situations, as that I'm ready to fight. Like I am very quickly ready to move into that action state, but not in, in in the right way. I'm not saying it's a good thing. But now knowing the purpose of anger, I can now move out of this state, which I have my fist ups for the people that aren't watching, and into the 
okay, what am I actually trying to achieve here? What is driving me? And knowing this about anger, I, because I'm the opposite of Phyllis, now I can be like, okay, stop fighting and use the anger in a healthy way to get the action that you're trying to achieve. Because I was just, I'm ready to fight at all times. Mm. In fact, that Bible verse talking about Jesus flipping over tables is like one of my favorite stories (laughs) because I'm like, let's flip some tables over. I'm ready to go. That is one of my favorite things. Honestly, like moments of Jesus. I felt so connected to him in that that story. But for me, learning about anger Mm. has done the opposite and it's helped me to, Mm. to find the driver and use it for its purpose. And it's helping our peacemakers of the world realize that their drivers look different. Josh, you sit there and say, Phyllis, you ran your own business. You had to have a driver there. You're a pastor, bud. Like, you can't get on that stage and lead people without having that driver inside of you. And there is something in there that is pushing you every week because I, yeah. we've worked in the church, my Wes and I have, and that is not an easy environment. I don't think you choose it. I don't think that you're like, oh, yep, I'm making this choice to go and be criticized Mm. and pushed around and all of these things. Mm -hmm. There is an anger there driving you to do that. And yeah, that's just my thought about that. So yeah, Josh, thank you. Do you feel like we have answered that before we go into the core emotion wheel? I think so. Yes. I feel that I feel very hopeful about that. Yes. Mm. Thank you. No, thank you. So much. And we end every episode by sharing our core emotion wheel. And this is our tool that Dr. Glenn and Phyllis created, our simple tool to help people learn how to identify what those emotions are firing in their body. So earlier when I was talking about doing an issue-specific wheel or getting to your core, this is our tool. And so, Josh, would you mind uh, doing that with us today? Yeah, sure. Sounds fun. Okay, awesome. Do you have one in front of you or I can tell you? I've got it. Oh, you're so prepared. I love a prepared person. I had a lot of fear coming into this that I wouldn't be prepared. So that drove me to be prepared, I guess. (laughs) Love it. It did. Okay. Oh, yeah. Fear. Just feeling a lot of fear that this could be the worst podcast you ever had because I was Mm. talking about you would be bored. I feel sad that I haven't been in touch with that driver, that that has been a challenge. Pain, I think looking at things, going back to the anger that if, if I was in touch with that driver, there might've been more things I could have done or or achieved in life. And it's just painful to look at Mm. that. I felt a little lonely trying to share this with other people. Mm. It's just hard to get people to to latch on, at least for me, right. I'm not a, I'm not a great promoter. I'm just really good at being consistent. As far as guilt, I think just, I probably feel a little guilty that it's just, I think there's guilt and shame that is taking a, a long time to get in touch mm-hmm. with what's going on inside of me and, and knowing that there's something, there's a, there's been a gap in feeling like what drives me and what pushes me anger i'm angry that's taken me so long to figure out anger mm-hmm. that just it's i'm angry that mm-hmm. i i'm i've been out of touch with anger i guess i would say mm-hmm. and then the joy I, I just felt the joy right now to hear when phyllis said about running and not feeling 
that <laughs> runner's high. Yeah. That boy, that's by, I, cause I felt a connection with that. I was Ooh. like, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And so, yeah, yeah I think that's eight. I love mm. that. Yeah. Thank you so it. much. Thank you to everyone who writes in and asks incredible questions. And Josh, thank you for not just writing in and asking, like, these are questions that I, I know you're not alone in because I've seen mm -hmm. other people ask. And the dialogue <clears throat> and the way you phrased it, I was like, he is the right person to come and, and have this, these conversations with. So I thank you for showing up. That's so yes. hard. And there's so much fear in it. I totally relate to it every single week. But you did it. And I know that our community needs to hear what, what you said today and, and what we all shared with each other. So I thank you for that. And I'm going to ask mm -hmm. one more quick question because you've just started going through our foundations course. Uh -huh. And so what would you want the people listening to know about the course? Is Has there been light bulb moments for you in taking the course that has been helpful? Most of the stuff in the course I can hear in the podcast or the book, but it's so different going through it with my wife and actually like being specifically focused on processing it together. Mm. And when I can, it, it does take it to a certain level when I read it or when I hear it on the podcast, even looking at different things like a, a still face and, mm. and seeing the little video with the baby and that kind of stuff. It is just, there's just, it takes it to such a deeper level yeah. and it mm. feels more, instead of just conceptual, it feels practical and useful. Mm. Wow. And, and I think what I, I think the other thing is there is a little bit of fear of everybody's busy. Does anybody have enough time to do stuff like this? Yeah. But once you jump into it, it isn't just information. It's actually enjoyable. Like I, I wasn't expecting to get joy out of it. I thought I'd get information that I could use, but I actually get joy watching it and, and listening to it and learning this, that things that I can actually apply and seeing light bulb moments with my wife, Angie, the, oh, that's why I feel that way at work yeah. because I'm getting a still face there. So yeah, it's been fun. Yeah. So I would just say, if you get started on the first one, it will help you drive you and motivate you to, to want to continue because you'll just you'll see how practical it is. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much because we do, we have a lot of listeners and I understand like, oh, I'm getting information from the podcast, but there's just so much practical use inside that course and watching it. It's more applicable. It's, okay, this is how I actually apply this to my life. And so that's where you're going to find that. So you can find the link in our show notes to our foundations course. I could not encourage you more to dive in. And Josh, thank you for sharing not only your experience with the course, but just sharing your life with us today and, and letting thank us you. in on who you are. It's been fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Glad you're in our community. Mm -hmm. And we do all of this because... You need this. You deserve this. So let's, let's do, do this. this. Let's do this.